most of you probably don't know who I am, nor should you. As, as Joe mentioned, I'm Ella's uh, Bampa, that's what they call me. And I'm Evan's Bampa, and I am Lauren's Bampa, and Scott and Audrey's Bampa. Uh, I am Laura Mativier's father, and Ben Mativier's father-in-law, and most importantly, I am Linda DeShetler's husband. Least important of all of these things is that I'm a retired United Methodist pastor for 47 years. It's hard for me to get my head around the idea that I spent 47 years as an active United Methodist pastor and preacher. I don't know where time's gone or, or what I've done. Uh, well, I, I know a little what I've done. After I retired, I served two six-month interims, and that took almost a year's worth of work. And then, uh, then COVID hit, you know, and everything went off the rails. And my wife, she moved here to Maine uh, temporarily to help during that COVID virtual schooling time, you know. And I finished up a, an interim, and I moved here in December. And then when the school year ended, we moved back to Ohio. And Somewhere along the line, our daughter convinced us that we ought to move to Maine. <laughs> and I suppose she was right, you know, because, uh, because aging and grandchildren are powerful incentives to move, you know. The trouble is, I, I don't think my wife and I have figured out a retirement routine yet. When I retired, Linda and I were asked a lot of questions about our plans. And I were usually the same three questions just asked by different people. Uh, the first one was usually, is Linda going to retire with you? And at the time, the answer was no. Uh, Linda, at that time, was a clinical psychologist at the Veterans Administration in Dayton, Ohio, which is kind of cool because, you see, I live with a psychologist, so I get 24-hour care <laughs> for free. And it's kind of neat. No, she said she's probably not going to retire because she thought I had to get used to the retirement routine, you know, and figure that out before she retired. Well, eventually, a couple years later, she did retire and joined me, and now she's thinking about going back to work <laughs> because apparently you can't get too much of a good thing, you know. You, you get married for better or for worse, but not for lunch. And so <laughs> she's... she's so the second question was, well, what are you going to do in retirement? And I thought, well, I'm just going to work on my wife's honey-do list, which is eternal. You know, I thought I'd do that. And then the last question was, uh, are you planning to stay in the area? And the answer back then was, yeah, we plan on staying in the area. Uh, we built our home in Dayton, Ohio. It was our dream home. It really was a brick colonial, made sure it had a first floor master and bath for aging purposes. We made sure all the doorways were wide enough to accommodate a wheelchair because we knew what was likely to come. It was, it was just a beautiful home. Uh, but then, you know, our, grandchild, our, our grandchildren persuaded us, our daughter persuaded us, and common sense persuaded us, we, we ought to move here. And so a year ago, we did. We moved back to Maine. We bought a house, moved back, but we can't live in it. We hadn't lived in it. We lived with our daughter, which is a strange sort of thing. But not yesterday, but a week ago Saturday, we finally got an occupancy permit because we've been remodeling this place all along. And we've been living at their house and going up to the house every day. I and a contractor just gutted the whole thing and remodeled. But now we efficiently have the occupancy, and so we're home. Or are we? 
<laughs> people have a lot of different views about home. You know, what do people do for the holidays? Go home. But uh, you know, it was this past Thanksgiving, the AAA estimated that some 54.6 million people traveled 50 miles or more to go where? Home. During that week between Christmas and uh, New Year's, try to imagine in your head how many people traveled to get home. According to AAA, 112.7 million people in this country. Why do we do this? Well, for me, there's a, there's a more important question than why we always have to try to get back home for the holidays, and it's this. Just where is home anyway? When we lived in Dayton, my wife and I we used to try to figure out if we were going home or going to stay home. You know, we, we have two kids, our, our son and daughter-in-law, and two grandkids. They lived down in Atlanta, and we had the kids here in Maine, and we always had to try to figure out who's going where when. Because, you know, we, the unfortunate thing about having kids that grow up and have grandkids is that you have to share your family with the other side of the family, you know, and I hate that. But, but we, we just we thought we'd work out a system that would be fair to both sides and not put unreasonable travel demands on our children. So at that time, we thought we would alternate Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we'd celebrate Christmas on Christmas, and the other year we'd celebrate Christmas on Thanksgiving, and we timed it around the Ohio State football schedule, you know, which is kind of important to me. You know, and, and at Thanksgiving, on, whole, on even number of years, uh, the Buckeyes play the team up north, Michigan, at home in Columbus. And so we'd have the kids come home that weekend so we could go over to Columbus and watch the game and have a good time. But, but now we live just down the street. You know, so all that's changed. So, so, so that has just got me thinking about the idea of where is home? What's your definition of home? I ask myself four questions. Maybe one of them will help you figure out your definition of home. Is home where you were born? I was born in Toledo, Ohio, East Toledo. It's kind of the poor section of town. We lived on Elmore Street. There's a little park uh, that is a triangle, less than an acre, a little triangular park. And, and uh, we lived on Elmore Street, but the Lutheran Church, big Lutheran Church, on the corner of Elmore and Woodville and Leonard Street, bought that little house and tore it down and built a parking lot. So if I were to go back home now, I would see asphalt and yellow lines. If you went back home, what would you find when you went back there? Or maybe home, maybe home is where you grew up as a child. After St. Mark's Lutheran bought that little house, we moved across the other side of the triangle, just a little ways, and bought a house at 624 Leonard Street. And we lived there three or four years, and guess what? The Lutheran Church bought that house, <laughs> tore it down, built a parking lot. I get real nervous around Lutherans. You, know? <laughs> you, make, you make me twitchy because uh, all the childhood displacement drama. So we moved down the, the street, just two doors down to 636 Leonard Street, and we wondered and waited over the next 15 years when the next Lutheran strike would have come upon us. Is home where you grew up? 
Well, I mean, what about our two children? Their first home probably was in Bradford, Ohio, my first church student appointment. But they don't remember that. And then we moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, and I was a youth pastor there for five years. And, and they might remember that, but they were five or seven when we moved. And, and, and then we moved to Columbus, and I think that's where they consider home, their hometown, Columbus, Ohio. Uh, our, that's their formative years. Our son graduated high school from there. But then we moved, and Laura, our daughter, she moved with us back to a, a church in Toledo in her end of her sophomore, beginning of junior year. So is Toledo home for her? Is, is Columbus? I, I don't know. Or maybe, uh, this is a question to ask, is home where your parents are? I think that defines home for a lot of people. I think it was that way for our kids. When they talked about going home, they would come to see us in Dayton, Ohio. But they never lived in Dayton, Ohio, not a year of their lives. Uh, but what if your parents are gone? What if your grandparents are gone? Suppose all your living relatives have died or are moving away from that place. Is that still home? Maybe the real definition is number four, is home where the family is buried and where you or I will be buried. I don't know. We live in such a mobile society anymore, and it can't necessarily be defined by family plots in the village cemetery. You know, I don't even know that people have family plots anymore. People don't very often go back to the cemetery to visit the relatives on holidays like Memorial Day or birthdays or anniversaries. I did a little checking. Um, you know, it was last November 11th, I think, was Memorial Day, or rather Veterans Day. And my father-in-law went ashore at Normandy in France. And my wife and I, we had the privilege of going to France this past summer. We had a river cruise, and we went from Paris up the River Seine River, and we went to Normandy, an awesome place. The, the cemetery there is just incredible. You look upon row after row of white crosses and, and Star of Davids, and uh, it's just incredible. 9,400 soldiers buried at that place, the American soldiers. I, th I thought that was the biggest uh, for, uh, U.S. cemetery in foreign soil. It's not. It's not even close. The, the biggest one is in Manila, 53,000 American soldiers buried there. In fact... It, it, around the world, there are some 10 cemeteries uh, with U.S. soldiers, 130,000 soldiers buried in those cemeteries. Is, is that home for them? I, I don't think so. Surely the battlefields of these brave men and women where they lost life, that can't be home. When I die, I want to be cremated and as it stands now, I'd like to have my ashes spread or put in the, at the scattering garden at our church in Toledo, which is my hometown, you know. And, and uh, the last church I served didn't have a columbarium or a scattering garden, but the Epworth Church did. Uh, so, you know, that's the next best, cheapest option for burial for me. That's a, that's a good thing. I'm a frugal guy. And just down the road from the Epworth United Methodist Church on Central Avenue is Ottawa Hill Cemetery. And some of my parents and grandparents are buried there. So if I'm among the walking dead, it's just a short stroll down the street. I can, I can go visit them now and then. So uh, is home where you finally decide to be buried? Where is home? 
as I mentioned, 23 years ago, my wife and I moved into the house that was more than a house to us. It's a house we built together. It was a dream home. It was a retirement home. But more, it was more, you know, you know how homes can be. It was, it was my sanctuary. It was the place I rested. It's the place I was most comfortable in. It's where I retreated from the relentless demands of the ministry from a noisy world. It's where I was fed. It's where my wife and I shared a bed. It's where we had 34 family albums of photos. It's where we had uh, the antiques that we had purchased and refinished. It's where all, all our quilts were. My home was always the promise I made to myself when things went too bad or too long at work. You know, sometimes I work late, and, and you folks won't know anything about this, but sometimes Methodist people, a few of them, can be a real pain in the tuchus. You know, they, they just can. Now, I know you folks aren't like that at White Pine, but it, the Methodist folks can be that way. And so I would tell myself in those moments, you can go home soon. And that thought would pour over me like warm sunshine on a cold day. I'm sure you don't have any thoughts like that because the people that you surround yourself with are always pleasant. They're always nice. Your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, the people at school, you always all get along and everything's peachy keen, but it's not like that in a Methodist church. And knowing that I could go home uh, made me go on just a little longer in the meeting and put up with the whining or the complaining just a little bit better. I think about the people who have no home. You know, homelessness is a big problem in Portland, it seems. And what about those news reports we've gotten from Turkey or Syria? I read the paper yesterday. Some 232,000 houses, homes were destroyed. Where do these people go? What do they do? There is no place for which they are known a safe place from which to know the world or to be known from. They don't have a nest. They don't have a fortress. They don't have a castle uh, to go to in this, in this vast and frightening world. So many people in this world have none of this. Of course, if you think about it, we're homeless too. We just don't realize it. We live in such a transient society and so many people move so often, you know. I'm, I'm told that the average person moves every six years. Every six years. So think about that. How many times have you moved in your life? You know, you can be expected to move somewhere between 11 and 15 times if you're ordinary uh, person. Now, I, I was fortunate. I, I was a Methodist pastor, and the average Methodist pastor moves every five years, but I, I didn't. Our last church was 18 years, and Toledo was 11 years, and the church before that was nine years. I move very little, but that's not how it is for most folks. Of course, you don't have to move at all to feel the ground shift beneath your feet. The neighborhood that you used to live in, it changes. Property values go way up or way down. I don't know what it is, but every time I get a chance to go back to Toledo, my hometown, I always go back to the other side of town, to East Toledo, to visit the old neighborhood. I don't know why I do that. But I do. I always go back there, and everything's changed. I mean, the place has turned into a slum. It's boarded up windows and abandoned houses and, and all these things. Where did home go? 
Maybe your parents died and they took all the furniture and they put it out in the front yard and they had some sale and strangers came looking for a bargain and they took it all away. Where did home go? Here's the point, folks. Nobody's home is invincible. Every home that you and I have ever known or will know has been taken from us, has changed, is changing, and comparatively soon will be no more. We are all, if you will, in a profound sense of homelessness. We live in temporary housing. It all began with Adam and Eve. You know, the first couple that ate themselves out of house and home. And what did they try to do after they did that? They tried to get back in. They wanted to be back in the presence of God. And you and I have been trying to find our way back to Eden and the presence of God ever since. For as long as God's people, the Israelites, can remember, they were seeking a home. There's a neat verse in Deuteronomy 26, verse 5, that says, A wandering Aramean was my father. That's the, story, that's the line, the verse that every Jewish person was to say at the presenting of the first fruits to God. They were to remember Jacob, who was in Aram for a while, and then he went, of course, uh, took all the people with him during the famine to Egypt, and then from Egypt to the Promised Land, and then to Babylon, and then back, and, and so on and so forth. Every Egyptian was to, re- every, rather, Israelite was to remember, and not to forget, no matter how round about the journey they were that be delivered there. Wanderers they were, and wanderers they'd be again. Wherever they went, they were to remember their destination was never Egypt. It was never Babylon. It was never even Jerusalem, but God. Always God. For as long as God's people can remember, that's the story. I think Jesus knew that in a profound sense. You know, he's a wandering rabbi, itinerant. And he said one time, you remember the verse, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. And I don't think he was complaining. I think he was just stating a matter of fact. It's the truth. If God is where we're coming from and God is where we're going to, then we don't really have any permanent shelters here. All the shelters that we have along the way are temporary ones. Our homes, our houses, our church buildings, our offices, our schools, these are good places to go every now and then and to park ourselves once in a while, but they're not very good places to define ourselves by or to sustain ourselves with because, frankly, they never last. I'm going to get a little trouble here now, maybe. I'm going to hazard a guess as to what is the most important verse in the entire Bible. The most important verse in all the scripture. Most important verse for two, if not three, major world religions. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Remember, Jesus was asked the question one time, what's the most important verse in the scriptures? And Jesus quoted this very verse. And then, of course, he added one, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But this is the first thing that came to his mind. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's the key verse to this 
people, this community this morning. You know, so often we focus on our food or our clothing or our rent or these astronomical utility bills you have in Maine. Good grief. (laughs) (laughs) Or you focus on TV or events. These things should not and do not define us. Our primary focus is to be on God. You don't focus on the scaffolding of the building, but the building itself. Focus on God's care and on God's glory. Because you and I are fundamentally homeless. So we need to focus on God's providence and God's providing us, if you will, a home. Here's the truth of it, folks. We are homeless people and nobody is home yet. Therefore, look to God. Yeah, I suppose deep down you know that. I didn't have to tell you that. Have you ever gone any place and you just felt like you didn't belong? You know, like you didn't fit in? Like there was a certain emptiness or heaviness about you. It was E. Stanley Jones who said he was a, a great uh, preacher, theologian in the 20th century. They called him Billy Graham of India. They said, the central sickness of humanity is homesickness. I can't tell you the number of times I've gone into a, into a home or a hospital room or a hospice room where somebody, some dear saint is taking their last breaths and you hear these folks say, I want to go home. My father-in-law said that when he was in his hospice bed. I want to go home. And you'll hear the children and the other people who are gathered around the bed saying, well, Daddy, we can't take you home. We don't have the equipment and the medicine. We can't take you home. Or you'll say, but, but Mama, you are home. You're here in the living room in, in, a, in a hospital bed. And, and Joe is here. And, and Sandy is here. And, and the hospice nurse is here. And, and you'll see these people shake their heads at our obtuseness. And they'll say, I want to go home. They don't mean any place in Portland or Yarmouth or Falmouth or Cumberland. Try to imagine this. I'll finish with this because I can see you folks are starting to go down a little bit here. (laughs) Try to finish this. Just imagine this. I'm at McDonald's in Falmouth. You know where that is? And I'm coming out the back entrance there to, to go up to our daughter's house. I stop at the bottom of the hill there to turn right onto Lunt or Depot Road, whatever that road is there. Changes, I can't keep it straight. Anyhow, as I'm sitting there and I'm looking, boom, a bug lands right next to my eye. Now, this is a strange thing about it is, though, this is a couple of weeks after Thanksgiving. You end up in a couple of hard frost. All the bugs are dead now. But there's this bug that landed there. And so I, I turned right, and I'm going up the hill towards Skillens there. And uh, you know, 10, 15, 25 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour, and that bug is still there. And I think, this is strange. So I turn left on the four-side road, and I pick up speed again just to see if the bug is going to hang on. And, and so I, you know, 10, 15, 20, 35, uh, 40. 50 miles an hour, purely in the interest of science, mind you, (laughs) just to see if that bug will hang on. Well, the bug hung on the whole time. I pull into our daughter's driveway, and I roll down the window a little bit, and I, I said, what are you doing? And the bug said, what do you mean? 
I said, what are you doing on my window? She said, I'm hanging on. I said, I can see that, but why? She said, I don't really know. It's just what I do. I hang on. I said, but you're not supposed to be alive. She said, what? I said, you're not supposed to be alive. There have been a couple of hard frost already, and, and all the bugs are dead now. How do you explain you're still alive? She said, I don't know. I just am. Well, I said, you've got to be feeling pretty lonely without all the other bugs being around, your friends, your family all gone. She said, yes, yes, she was. I said, are you worried about dying? Is that why you hang on? No, she said, I, I, I can't explain uh, why I'm alive. This just happens, but I'm not afraid. She said, you see, I'm a bug. I said, well, I know you're a bug. She said, but we bugs, we live into stages. We live in stages, you know. She said, there's the egg stage, and there's the larva stage, and the pupa stage, and then, then there's the adult stage. I said, you know, we adults, we have stages like that, too. We call them different things, terrible twos, teenagers, but we have stages, too. And she said, well, the last stage is the best of all. She said, when we die, or when we seem to die, we go into the ground for the winter. But later usually sometime around Easter, we come back to life. I said, really? I said, that seems pretty far-fetched to me. Let me see if I get this straight. You live all the stages of your life, and then you die, and then you're put into the ground, and you come back to life? That is the strangest thing I've ever heard of. I, I, I said, where do you call home? She said, I don't have a home. I said, well, what kind of bug are you? She said, I'm a moth, a gypsy moth. Oh. You know, we all have a little bit of gypsy moth in us. Wherever we go, whatever we do, we are to remember that we live by the hand of a gracious God alone. You trust in God's care for you. You remember that you are far more than what you eat, or what you wear, or where you work, or the title that you hold. You might care for yourself, and you might care for others, but you have to remember first and foremost that it is God, and God alone, that cares for each and every one of you. So where is home? Is it where you were born? Is it where you grew up? Is it where your parents are? Is it where you or I are expected to be buried? I don't think so. I, I think it has something to do with that verse. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. You do that, and God takes care of everything else. Because you see, folks, there is another name for God, and that name is home. Amen.